And it's time once again for another Lawn and Garden Journal. It's a special email edition of the show. It's yours truly, Chris Sunder, alongside our usual host, Carla Hersina. And Carla, like we always do, let's get started with a poem before we get to the questions in just a little bit. Sounds very good. And we've entered into autumn. Fall is here, the beauties around us. So let's just take a look at what autumn brings. I look outside my window and see the leaves changing color, one by one trickling to the ground. Fall. It's in my grasp, my favorite season, the one I long for. I take a deep breath. The crisp, cool, clean air tickles my nose. I think back to when I was little, sitting in my grandma's kitchen, watching her bake. The aroma of fresh apple pies wafting through the air. My wa- my mind wanders off to caramel apples with my mom. The sweet golden caramel sticks to my lips as the sour apple crunches in my mouth. Then the image of a bonfire flashes into my mind, sitting with my sister on a teetering log, roasting marshmallows, watching them engulfed in flames. We bite into the s'mores as the chocolate melts onto our bare hands. My imagination deviates off to a hayride. The scratchy straw surrounds me as I meander my way up through the maze of pumpkins, all eyes open to see who can spot that perfect one, the one that we will take back home and make our own. The once so near sight of summer begins to fade, splashing waters turn to cheerful crowds at football games, and the giggles and screams of trick-or-treaters frolicking in the street. My mind takes me back to reality as I look out my window once again. Red, yellow, and orange hues flood my vision. I can't help but smile, because fall is finally here. And today we won't be taking calls over the phones for the Lawn and Garden Journal, but that's okay because, as always, all of you have been super busy emailing questions in related to fall. So it's going to be Carl and I answering your emails today. And welcome back to the Lawn and Garden Journal on Golden West. And yes, it is a special email edition of the show once again. Chris Sumner alongside your usual host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. And before, uh, before we get to our first email, Carl, I have to ask, as a gardening professional as you are, are you able to pick a favorite season and where, where would fall rank in that for you? Well, you know what? All the seasons are, are beautiful. And I'm the type of person in the garden center, like most garden center people, they love being outdoors and they love the changes. But honestly, I think fall is probably my top favorite because, you know, you can still dress up. You can go in layers. You feel the warmth and the color that's around you is just stunning. So it is a welcoming time. It's a comfort time of year. So I think fall would probably rank number one. And it's kind of uncanny that you mentioned the colors there, Carla, because in fact, that's our first email question for this Lawn and Garden Journal. Now, we know a lot of folks love still having color around their yards in fall. Now, keeping in mind that it is October 21st, are there still some fall plants that we can be putting out on our decks or maybe on our front steps? or, Or are we, because we're into that hard frost season, past that point? 
No, you know what? This is the time of season, especially our front entrances. This is where I strongly endorse that we always put the nice flowers in the containers at the front. So why not continue by having those accents at our entrances? This is welcoming time um, where you have uh, mums and ornamental kale and cabbages that just prefer those cooler temperatures. They're not going to take that hard frost, but it's an easy way that you can just sort of do a light cover and do that extension. And I think our our falls are becoming warmer and warmer a little bit more. So we do have that extension. And I myself have, uh, okay, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm one of those ones that some of my plants in my front pots are not looking good. But the ornamental grasses, if I planted any uh, purple fountain grass or any of those ornamental grasses that are in my pots, these are favorable for sort of, okay, let's pull out some of the petunias that didn't do well and sort of anchor around gourds and pumpkins. And you may be able to push a little baby mum or two in there just for that welcoming effect. Uh, my wife and I, Carla, have a ornamental millet in our front entrance pots, and I believe they're both about five and a half feet tall. I can't believe how much they grew this year. You know what? There are so many things. Like a millet falls into that category where it gives you an extension into a fall season. And totally adaptable because even these grasses in these pots, if your pot is able to sustain being outdoors a little bit longer, um, this is fall. It gives you the character. And a lot of the seed heads that are on these ornamental grasses are also um, food sources for some of the nature, you know, our birds that are around us. So creating that, you know, even if it does get, I'm going to say the, the frosty word, if it gets frost on it, how pretty is frost on grasses or even prairie tall grasses? So you're increasing that element of something that's textured when winter does come. But let's let's think about the beautiful, beautiful fall first. <laughs> well, one thing that may not be considered beautiful about fall is there's always that fall yard work that we have to do, Carla. And I know you've had a number of folks call in over the last few weeks asking you various questions about fall yard prep and getting the fall ready for the winter freeze-up. I did want to go over one question at least one more time, and that's that to mow or not to mow, because you had a call from Kathy a few weeks ago, and you essentially said that, yeah, we, we should be doing a mow to make sure we're in good shape uh, before freeze-up. Yeah, that's really important right now, because I know that uh, a lot of, if you've got lawn service, a lot of the contracts kind of ended end of September, or maybe even this week in the first week of October. And we're seeing that because of the warmth that we've had in the last week or so, our lawns have not shut down. They're still lush. And with this um, moisture that we just got, we're seeing that there is that revitalization that some of these lawns look greener now than they did a few months ago. So maintaining it to a level where you may have to do another cut or two, uh, the density of having large, longer grasses, it's going to lay down. There's more chances of creating snow mold in your yard. Uh, there's also more chances of those nasty little voles that are going to be able to harbor underneath a nice nesting of fallen over tall grass. So we want to do those cleanups. We want it slightly shorter and be able to maintain it so we don't we we don't want any um you know snow mold happening we don't want 
we don't want the bulls for sure <laughs> running around. We want to push those guys as way, as far away as we can. Now, is it safe to mow your lawn after what we would call a killing frost? So I'm talking a frost of several hours of, say, minus three or colder. Um, you know what? If it's minus three and colder and it's not sustainably warm again that's on there, I'd say leave it alone. It's done. But if you get a light frost and there's action where you get raised temperatures up again that are raised up a little bit warmer you know if you get into those lower double digits and your grass is really really long I think there's the benefit side of getting it mowed down would be on the positive side rather than leaving it long where you might have a detriment of damage to your lawn caused by the voles. Now, over the past couple of weeks on our morning show, Carla, the three of us, uh, Zach, Michelle, and I, we spent a lot of time talking about raking. The reason being is all of us have giant trees in our yards. Giant trees equals lots of leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to rake or not to rake. <laughs> exactly. To rake or not to rake. I did want to take some time this morning on the Lawn and Garden Journal to, to talk about that. What What is your general guideline to that question? To rake or not to rake? Well, if you have, there's sort of different scenarios and you have to look at the different stories around to sort of come to that conclusion. If you have a very high density of leaves uh, that's in there, you may want to get some of that off because if it's going to be laying on the lawn very long, it's causing compaction. Again, uh, the larger leaves almost, sometimes I've seen it where it's almost the snow comes off and it's like this mat of just leaves on top of the lawn where it could cause problems. Now, there's a difference between uh, having leaves that you're you're mowing them and you're mulching and you're adding them back to the nutrient value of the lawn. You can do that. But in some instances, uh, the larger portions of them, I think I would lift them up and leave them because A, if you have a very mon- uh, manicured lawn, you may not want them on there. Um, you know, there's lots of programs that you can relief it. You can put it to composting. Uh, putting nice dry leaves into a compost is really good because you'll reap the rewards of that recipe of it cooking down that you can add back to your garden. Uh, You can mulch them up so that they're really, really fine and leave them on the lawn. But you want to, again, make sure that the lawn is not long when you mulch them to leave them as an added nutrient base that's on there. And of course, if you find that you have some trees, and I know it's it's really hard that if you had some... uh, some trees that had a lot of disease on it, you may want to uh, like mow them and lift them and and remove them or just get them out of the out of the yard. And just getting back to that comment about mulching those leaves on your, your our own yard, maybe just take us through the process of doing that because a lot of us have those lawnmowers now that you can take the bag off the back and then it, it's it's a mulching mower. Is, is is that okay? How to do that? Yeah, but again, you have to watch, like if you're massively dense that's on there, you have to watch sort of the proportion of how much mulch you're going to put on there. You know, I have visions of five-foot-high paths of of mulching, but if it's that light light dusting that's on there, mulching and shredding up those leaves to a fine mulch that goes on top of the lawn, you're adding a little bit more nutrient base to it. Because in nature, nature drops those in the forest, Right. And that leafy matter becomes then nutrient-based for those trees in the future. But there's a difference when it's on a lawn, right? 
when it's on a lawn, uh, just laying there as creating a mat, again, you may want to lift them up. So in the aspect, if you have huge mounds of leaves, you may want to remove some of them. But if it's a fine scattering across the grass or your lawn where you want to keep it manicured, mulching that would, would be beneficial. And we're going to continue our conversation with Carla Hersina on this special email edition of the Lawn and Garden Journal in just a moment. When we come back, Carla, we're going to be talking about fall fertilizing as well as wrapping trees. Which one should I be doing and how do I do it properly? You're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. No phone calls today, but stick around. Welcome back to the Lawn and Garden Journal on Golden West Radio. It's Saturday, October 21st. Thank you for spending time with us. My name is Chris Sumner alongside your usual host, Carla Hersina. <laughs> no phone calls today, but we are taking uh, questions from email that have come in over the past few weeks. And before we went to break, Carla, I was mentioning fall fertilizing. So when it comes to my lawn, what is your approach, if any, to fall fertilization? Well, fall fertilizer, there is a time frame for you to get them in. So you're just at that edge where you may be on it. Usually it's um, a few weeks, like six weeks before the first frost is in there. So I don't know. We might get frost tonight. <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of see what the temperatures are. But there's a lot of fertilizers where we want to make sure what we're putting down in the application. And uh, we don't want to put a lot of phosphorus that's in our in our grounds we want to do a little bit of that nitrient nutrient or nitrogen base uh one of the ones that i find that's really good to put down sort of in the fall portion of it is a corn maize gluten type it's organic and um you're adding a little bit of that organics back into your lawn and it's a little bit of an inhibitor for weeds so some of that will stay in there to prevent any weed seeds that may start to germinate if we have a little bit of extension of development or uh, it seems like weeds seem to grow faster you know even than the fall like just first thing in the spring they kind of take off so a little bit that's on there there are some turf builder products that are out there that have uh your like your 3204s that are in there um that's on it so you can look for some turf builders that are on there but again i like the corn mace it's a, a natural product now, when it comes to the application of that corn maize gluten product, which I have heard you talk about before on the Lawn and Garden Journal, are we still able to put that down now, even though more than likely most of our listeners have seen frost in their neck of the woods? Yeah, if you've seen frost in your neck of the woods, then I would probably delay it. You could also use it, again, as an application in the spring for putting it on. Um, so it might just be at a little bit of a uh, too late in the season to do that portion of it. I would probably say let's put our labor into um, mulching our leaves and getting those aspects of it done and getting a really good watering on a lot of trees and shrubs um, if we stay dry with the remainder of this month. Let's uh, move into another email question we had again. This is a topic that comes up every fall, and that is wrapping trees. So first off, before we get into the proper way to do it, what types of trees should we be looking at wrapping, Carla? And is there an age range, or is it more size that we need to consider? Well, collectively, I'm glad you mentioned this, because this is one of the ones that is so important, especially if you just planted some trees that are in there size definitely is a characteristic that's on it especially younger trees now there's a category then you said which type amir maples anything that's kind of sweet right 
maples, Amir maples, fruit trees. So your fruit trees, your apples, your plums, your pears, apricots. And it's a simple thing that we can do in the preventative measures that is happening that's on it is we can do uh, spiral tree guards on, and it's like, it looks like a spirally little band that you go from the bottom all the way up the, the base or the trunk of the tree. And it's important to think also too, that if you do and you start at the bottom, because we want to prevent those voles again that are running underneath the snow, that we spiral upwards. And just remember, we don't want to think about the snow, but if the snow goes higher than your tree guard, the snow has just acted like an elevation for that rabbit to get a little bit higher up your tree. <laughs> so, you you know, the tipping on the limbs or the, the branches on the outside, uh, I sometimes call that natural pruning from a, an animal who's helping you. But we really need to, pro- I know, we need to protect the trunk of the tree because that is the vitality of how that tree is going to grow. Now, when we talk about cedars, and I know uh, just this past spring, you had a few folks call in after they unwrapped their cedars and they were looking terrible. And you had a feeling that possibly it was because the wrap was too tight. How do we properly wrap or winter protect our cedars? Yeah, this 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 is like we're going num- number one importance, number two importance. And the the cedar rusting, that's more in aspect of probably, yeah, we may have um, not given enough of an air break between the burlap and the shrub itself or the tree itself. Or the probably the even more important is getting moisture into the ground so that all our trees and shrubs have ample moisture around their roots uh, to lock that moisture into the plant. It seems weird though, like, you know, you're you're like... Are we just making ice cubes out of all these roots? Yes, we're making an ice cube ground to lock in the moisture so that these plants right now are taking up as much moisture as they can to sustain their their bark. And even in evergreens, that you you look at it and you go, how can something so flat and texture, you know, hold moisture? It does. And putting that extra moisture into the cells of those plants is important. There's burlap is not for keeping it warm. The burlap is to help support it from being desiccated or dried out from uh, winds. And also the burlap will serve as a purpose to um, block the the sunny days that we get from reflecting off of the, the white snow bouncing up. And even on some warmer days, you don't realize it. If the sun acts as sort of this warming tone for some of those cells of the plants to just slightly open up and then we get the cold night winds that act as that desiccant. So wrap them up and the purpose of doing this, and I like the way that you mentioned it, is this is the time now when the ground is soft. We've had uh, some moisture previously. So if you can get your stakes in the ground now, don't wrap now, but you may want to do the wrapping when we're sustainably cold. So you are going to do a little bit of cold work later on. But let's get the stakes in the ground. So that's the most important thing because you won't be able to get them in once the ground's frozen. Keeping in mind that we're getting well into October here, Carla, are we past the point that you can actually plant trees? Because I have driven by a few garden centers and I'm seeing seedlings and saplings still out there. Are those just left over from the season or is it still okay to put a tree in and it still will have a chance to make it through to next spring? Oh, yeah. If you, if like, 
Um, we're a landscape company, so a lot of our bigger trees will go in the ground even when there's a little crust of snow on the ground. Think of it this way. Most of the containerized products that you're going to go to your garden center and look at, they are grown in a pot. They haven't been harvested and lifted within that year. A lot of trees and shrubs are field grown in pots. So you're basically... Uh, ourselves, we will be putting those under cover. We'll be laying them down. We use huge insulation blankets for them to overwinter. The best thing is to plant that tree in the ground and the ground underneath is warm because we have that nice blanket of snow that is going to be coming. So there's still that little bit of sustainability in the ground that's going to be warm for those roots to anchor. So fall planting is a wonderful time to put in the ground. But then there's the measures that we um, we also encourage, just like the spring. If you're planting it, match the ground level that's on it. If you're planting it and it's dry for two weeks, we still have to water it. And we're putting in a good base of soil to the sides and slightly on the bottom in the new hole that we've created. And beneficial too, put a little bone meal or root res- rescue in there because it's going to be a little bit active that's on it. Not huge growth, but you'll see a little bit of ro- growth sustainability starting on some of those roots. Carla Hersina and Chris Sunner joining you on this Saturday morning, October 21st. Yes, the Lawn and Garden Journal today. No calls on the phones. We're taking email questions that have come in over the past few weeks. We're going to take a short break and then come back and talk a little bit about fall planting, specifically Can we still be putting some perennials in? And if so, which ones are still okay to put in at this point in October? Stick around. The Lawn and Garden Journal continues in a moment. And welcome back to the Lawn and Garden Journal on Golden West Radio. I'm Chris Sumner alongside your usual host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. No phone calls today, but next week, yes, that is going to happen. So keep that in mind. We're taking email questions from the past few weeks. And uh, Carla, we're going to move into fall planting again. Yes, we realize we are well into October at this point. But are there still perennials that we can consider planting right now? Yeah, it's this, um, It's almost the same aspect as doing our trees and shrubs. Um, you know, small, like if it's a spring blooming one, I maybe not, but the fall ones, you can definitely go in. And I would probably go basis on the really hardier ones that are out there. Uh, a lot of people are putting in car forester, getting a jump start on those ornamental grasses, or even taking a look at some of the, the sedums and the autumn joys and your daylilies. These plants are like quite quite hardy and it's the same thing as the aspect of putting a tree in the ground is if you have to move something and plant it plant it don't store it above ground uh, but get it into the ground because the fall is also a time where if you have to lift and divide something or if you have to move something from your yard from one location to the other it's more beneficial to get it in the ground so fall planting does continue quite late as long as you are aware that if we're moving it and we're planting it, we have a tendency sometimes to have a very fall, like drier section before the snow comes. We need to make sure that there's moisture around that reservoir of new plantings that we've done. Is it too late in the season now, Carla, again, considering that we're in that kind of October 21st range to be doing bulbs like tulips or lilies or anything like that? Well, that's a that's a, a a good question too because we have been extending it, and people who have been buying their bulbs right now have been holding off on their bulbs till probably 
you know, last week. So if you can basically get the bulb in the ground, it's going to stay there nested. And again, the ground is warm. So there is still time to get those bulbs in the ground if you need to. But let's see what the weather brings, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I I, I am a big fan of of tulips. Uh, I just absolutely love that they're one of the first things that come up in spring. Where Where do you land on tulips there, Carla? Okay, I like tulips. They're very pretty. But if I had to do a go-to bulb, it would be an allium bulb. I love, don't get me wrong, the tulips or and the daffodils, that is a clear indicator that spring is emerging. But um, with the tulips, the one hint, uh, hint that I sort of have on those is if you're looking at your packaging when you're visiting your garden center, is take a look and see if it's an early or a mid or a late season bulb. I have a tendency that I've in the past done some early ones and those early ones sometimes look beautiful amongst that last little bit of snow that's coming through the garden. So if you're wanting a little bit of extension where it goes through maybe mid to late, but my go-to for a bulb is the alliums, the giganteums, um, large strap leaves that are on the bottom and they almost have these spiky tall stalks with these massive five-inch globes of purple on the top stunning and most people um, won't see them if they're not familiar they'll see them in the garden in the spring or or midsummer when they're coming up and they'll go i saw this purple ball suspended on this stock where are they and i'll go well you should have got them last year because <laughs> they are like in the tulip they're like in the tulip category so and they pair beautifully so you know what I could I could plant some of my allium with your tulips and you would just love it. <laughs> I like the sounds of that, Carla. I just wanted to talk briefly about perennial care as we're in fall right now. When it comes to pruning perennials, so I'm thinking, you know, uh, bushier per, uh, perennials, uh, maybe even rose bushes. What are some guidelines or things that folks should be thinking about before they go out there and just start hacking everything up with their shears? Yeah. Well, roses, um, like all your shrubs, the general rule of thumb is look for, if you're looking at stems that are gray or black, do a little scratch test to see if there's um, growth in there. And if you scratch the cambium of a rose uh, stem, you'll see that there's a bright lime green, chartreuse green. Those stems will be vital. So you can, if you need to trim it, take one third off the top. If you see on your trees and shrubs black or gray or very brittle branching, perfect time to get a little bit of work done and eliminate that. Now, when you go into the perennial category, um, it's time now that your spring blooming or summer blooming perennials, cut them back. Do a little bit of work. If you want that exercise and make spring a little bit lighter on your work duty, get those cleaned up. But maybe hesitate a little bit on those fall ones. The ornamental grasses and the sedums, they still look really crisp when we do get a little bit of frost because they have that resilience and they are fall blooming. And again, even your sedum autumn joy look beautiful, um, sort of suspended above the snow. The little birds can sit on them, have a little bit of a food source and create that winter interest. So do a little bit now and save the rest for spring. Want to transition from perennials in the fall too, and I'm I'm thinking someone's going to be listening and think, what is Chris talking about? Annuals in the fall? Come on, <laughs> like it's time to pull them out. 
But I want to ask you about moving annuals from outside to indoors to try and have them last throughout the winter season. Are there particular annuals that may either be in the ground or potted that are more likely to make it through the winter if we move them inside? Yeah, they are. Um, the number one that is very good for bringing inside are your geraniums. They are resilient and they don't go through such a shock. Um, a lot of people will start taking a little bit of slips of some of their favorite coleuses and bringing them in. But just remember, as we're bringing them indoors, there is a temperature change, there's an environmental change, there's a moisture change. So the one thing we want to do is start reducing on the water portion of it because our houses are going to be maybe a little bit cooler and they need to go into that little bit of a a slowdown phase. They still need light. So if it's coleus, you might be putting them closer to a light source to keeping them going a little bit longer. The geraniums too. Uh, There's got to be a room that does have some light that's in there. But we have to realize too that these plants are meant for outdoors. So if they start to do a little bit of a not looking too great, just keep going, have faith. And because they're not going to be actively growing, they are going to go into a little bit of a shutdown. Now, for those of us that have planted uh, tropicals in pots and they have been outdoors on our decks and front steps all summer, what is the likelihood if we bring those tropicals in that they're going to make it through the winter? Oh, the tropicals? Bring them in. Tropicals can definitely come indoors. Again, there's a little bit of work that we want to do. And maybe I should mention too, annuals and tropicals that we're bringing indoors from outside. Uh, if you can get that garden hose on them, give them a good blast, blast off any little critters that may be harboring under the leaves. And remember, the undersides of the leaves is where a lot of them are going to harbor because naturally rain would wash them off if they were sitting on the top. So we want to give it a good blast, wash them off. And when you're bringing them indoors, you're probably going to find that you're going to have to do a little bit of an insecticidal spray of endol or trounce um, and just... Keep an eye on it so that if you start to see uh, small leaves or sticky matter dripping down from it, first look for bugs and take action right away as soon as you see it. You don't want them to spread to other other plants. But tropical plants, bring them indoors. Uh, you will love that you get that gained extra growth on them. You'll love that you've saved a little money that you're not buying them again next year. And um, it will give you greenery in your house which is ever so important because it's a motivator. Now, we all know in winter our daylight hours are limited and and the sun is not coming up as high in the horizon as it does in spring and summer. So is it fair to say, Carla, that these plants that we are moving indoors or even the tropicals that we already have indoors all year round, should we be trying to position them on a south-facing window for the winter or does it matter? Well, if they've been in the house and they've adapted to growing in those conditions for a number of years and they're doing great, they've already adapted to those locations. The items that you're bringing from outdoors, now you're bringing indoors. That is a, that is a, that is, I'm going to say a huge change for them. So we want to give them as much light as we can on those items so that there isn't as much leaf drop. And don't be scared, uh, leaf drop, that's another category. If you have some plants that are outside and you bring them indoors, you're probably going to see yellowing leaves right away. These are shock 
uh, indicators, uh, dropping leaves. That's another shock indicator. So again, when you have yellowing leaves, we're going to be removing some of those leaves. If you have leaf drop, the plants themselves do not have the higher percentage of leaves on them to respire and grow. So what we have to do is take action to reduce the watering on it because it's not taking up as much water as it normally would. So it's a prevention of causing root rot on our tropicals when we do bring them indoors. Carla Hersina, the host of the Lawn and Garden Journal from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center, alongside Chris Sumner, who's a, I guess you'd call me a special guest host today. We're going to take one final break, and then we'll come back, and Carla will wrap up today's Lawn and Garden Journal. And as it always does when I co-host with Carla Hersina on the Lawn and Garden Journal, the hour seems to go by in about 15 minutes. But here we are once again, Carla, at the end of the show. A big thank you to all of our listeners today and also the folks who have emailed in their questions that we answered over the past 45 minutes or so. And Carla, I'm excited. I think you are too. Back in studio next week answering calls. Oh, yes. I'll be excited to be back. And you know what? It seems like the season has gone so fast. So you know what, everyone? Call in next week. I will be back next week on the Lawn and Garden Journal.